Well, friends, we're continuing this sermon series in this new year. You know, often in the new year, many people seek to get into physical shape or financial shape or emotional shape. Perhaps you've set some New Year's resolutions or goals. Well, we want to kind of capture this moment on the calendar to talk about what it looks like for us to get into spiritual shape. And this isn't just true for us individually, but what does it mean for us collectively as the body of Christ to get into shape together? Now, this acronym, SHAPE, was developed by two pastors at Saddleback Church. Maybe many of you are familiar with Pastor Rick Warren, the founder of Saddleback Church, but also another pastor there, Eric Reese. He and Pastor Rick identified and developed this concept of SHAPE as an acronym of spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. And they developed some tools for their church and other churches to identify what their SHAPE is so that they can be in alignment with one another and kind of like the human body being healthy and fit and alignment and working together. The same is true with our physical bodies as is our spiritual body, the collective body of Christ. And so if you've missed any of these sermons, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel after this sermon. Simply look up Bel Air Church on YouTube and myself and our teaching team have been working through this sermon series on shape and we get to the P today of personality. Now, you've heard me uh, last week, if you joined uh, us, say how, you know, abilities and personality are very similar and yet really very distinct. Abilities have often to do with our skills, our competencies, you know, things that we are able to do. Now, our personality, differently, has a lot to do with temperament, has a lot to do with things under the surface that can often be the, the guiding principles or the motivation for how and why we do certain things. And though they are distinct, it's important to understand that our personalities, like abilities, are something simply that we have. And so as we get into this uh, sermon, a lot like last week where I preached on abilities and the three points, if you remember them, where you have abilities and two, if you put your abilities into God's hands, that remarkable things can happen. And third, that God can still use your inabilities for God's purposes. Similarly, I want to talk about the three things today are you have a personality. And second, if you put your personality in God's hands, remarkable and remarkable, miraculous things can happen. And then finally, a little differently, there is a shadow side to every personality. So first, you have a personality. Now look, I know that there are like thousands of personality tests out there. There's the Myers-Briggs. There's these things that I've never heard of that I looked into, these acronyms that I've never seen. You know, you Google it and there's 12 personality types and there's nine personality types and there's seven personality types and there's the biblical personality types and there's the personality types that have to do with the, the sun and the moon and the stars and there's, there's the Enneagram. This has gotten so popular within the Christian church and there's just so many different approaches, so many different tools so many different schools of thought that are talking about personality that on one hand, it seems like this is, this is like common knowledge. Regardless of your faith background, personality is something that's talked about. Regardless of your country of origin, temperament and personality is something that's talked about. You can study human history. 
You can read throughout literature from thousands of years ago. And you go back to the Stoics. You go back to the Greek classics. You read, uh, you know, writings from, from ancient Chinese dynasties. They, they talk about temperament. And what's fascinating is that it seems like, a couple things here, uh, that throughout history and cultures around the world seem to prize or value or lift up or admire certain personality types over others. And so you might have grown up in a culture where extroverts were lifted up, or perhaps you grew up in a culture where being more introverted was cherished. And it's so much more than just extrovert and introvert. And again, like I said, there are so many different tools and ways to describe, perhaps even as I'm saying this, things are coming to mind on how you've taken personality types in, uh, in your past. Maybe it has to do with letters now associated with your name. Maybe it has to do with words. You know, there's personality types that describe who you are as it relates to a Disney character. There's personality types that describe who you are based upon a particular uh, leader in the world. There's personality types that describe you as it relates to an animal in the animal kingdom. And there's so many different things. But I've also heard people say personality types aren't biblical. And I've heard people say, you know, how dare you? How dare you? How dare any Christian ever talk about personality types? Because that phrase personality type is not used in Scripture. Well, yes, that's true. But neither does automobile or cancer research. And just because a word or a phrase isn't found in Scripture doesn't mean it doesn't either matter to God, nor does it mean that it can't be something that God can shape in our lives, nor does it mean it's not something that God has actually designed and created for us. In fact, when you study Scripture, there are so many different temperaments, so many different personality types. We're going to get into a few of them. It's, this is not going to be an exhaustive sermon. But the reality is, is that Mary and Martha, those sisters, have completely different temperaments. And again, the danger is us lifting up one temperament or personality type over the other. Now, I've had some people, you know, come in and they, they ask me what my, you know, astrological sign is. Uh, or people, you know, you know, try to identify personality types as it relates to the particular hour or day or month or year in which you were born. And I've had other people say, you know, that's not biblical. But you know what I often say? Well, who created the moon? The Lord. Who put the stars in the sky? The Lord. Who orders the day? It says in scripture in which a person is born. The Lord. And I really believe that some people, as they're trying to describe personality, though they don't attribute the personality as being given by the Lord, their searching actually is evidence that there is a maker behind all of it. In fact, Psalm 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not a cosmic accident. You are not the byproduct of just dust and, and, and a solar um, chain reaction that goes all the way back to something that didn't have intention behind it. But in actual fact, there is a great and creative designer behind all of it. And you've heard me say, I believe in the Big Bang, in the fact that everything began in a singular moment in which everything has expanded ever since. I believe in that. 
And I believe that science is actually revealing the truth of that. I believe in carbon dating. I believe in the fossil record. I believe in all these things. In fact, I actually, I know what the Big Bang sounded like. It says in scripture, it sounded like this, let there be light. In fact, there was a moment in which everything began and it wasn't an accident. It wasn't just this colliding of things. It wasn't just this thing that was unintentional. It was with great intention that the creator God, mysterious and cosmic, we might describe God as uh, uh, one being in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, speaking into existence all things. And from that initial moment of creation, everything has been expanding out greater and greater and greater. And I really believe that science is actually catching up with that which is already revealed in Scripture. I love when Christians don't throw out science, but actually understand that in the deep exploration of this world that we actually have evidence of a creative maker whose scripture says wants to have a relationship with you and me. As sociologists and psychologists and neuroscientists are discovering the complexities of the human brain and just the the remarkable things of how we are made and actually how our, even our diet can shift and change our personality. That our gut biome actually transforms our mood. It just, it's remarkable. All these things. There's such great complexity. And I love it when Christians can actually have, on one hand, scripture in one hand and a scientific journal in the other. Maybe you've heard it said, I think it was Carl Barth who says that every Christian should have a Scripture in one hand and the newspaper in the other, that's true, but also I think we should have a scientific journal in the other hand as well. In fact, personality is something that on one hand I believe is God-given, but actually in addition to that is uniquely shaped in a profound array of things that have to do with our family of origin, that have to do with our upbringing, that have to do with our, our environment, have to do with our diet. There's so many complex things that shape our personality, our temperament. But the point I want to make is this. First and foremost, you have a personality and it's unique to you. And it might shift and it might change, but I need you to know that your personality is yours. And you don't need to change your personality to be used by God. We'll get to in a moment what it could look like when you take your personality and put it into God's hands but often I see in the church people thinking that they have to change their personality before they put that new personality in God's hands. In fact, when I first started as the senior pastor here, gosh, it's uh, um, nine years ago. And I remember, you know, coming in and, and doing the best I could as a young preacher, 33 years old, had never been a senior pastor before. I'd led large ministries before and done a lot of preaching to larger groups of people. But, you know, it, it's, it's very new to come in, to be the head of staff, uh, to lead uh, operations meetings and elder board meetings and, and personnel committee meetings and be involved in budgeting. But in the midst of all of that, I'm trying to find my way. I'm asking for God to guide me, to give me wisdom. That's the one prayer that I've prayed for more than anything else. And the more requested prayer of anything, God, give me wisdom and the courage to follow you in that wisdom. But I remember there was this distinct moment 
I was sitting right in the front row. Might have been like two months in to uh, being in this new role, senior pastor. I, I think I preached the first uh, 10 weeks in, in a row or something. And about two months in, right before I'm about to get up to preach, and, and as a side note, for the love of God, never walk up to somebody the moment they're about to preach or publicly speak and tell them something. It is so distracting. It is so unnerving. Uh, I, I appreciate encouragement. I, I appreciate things. But right when you're about to go up, and you know this if you're a public speaker, uh, if you're somebody who has to teach in front of a classroom, you have to give a presentation, that literally seconds before you get up is the last moment that you ever want somebody to introduce a new thought in your mind. But that's what happened on this day, almost nine years ago. Again, two months in, this person walks up to me right before I'm about to preach and, and they, they hand me something and they whisper in my ear and they say, this is a comedic coach. I want you to call them this afternoon. Your preaching would be a lot better if you were just funnier. And then the song ends and I got to, walk up onto the bima and preach, having just been told, you're not funny, and you better take some steps to get funnier, to be used by God. Now, I didn't know this person that well. And I, look, I'm going to believe, you know, love believes the best. And I'm going to believe that they had the greatest intent in mind. They were trying to be encouraged, trying to be helpful, perhaps. But I got to tell you, that messed me up. It messed up my mind. Uh, it messed up my psyche. Uh, an insecurity came out. You know, I, I've been around so many phenomenal, so many phenomenal preachers. And I know intellectually that there's so many different personality types. I know that there's so many different styles of communication. But I also know that prior to me coming into the role, there had been a number of pastors in a long line that actually humor was just part of their personality. And I think that the community had gotten used to that personality type and had actually been shaped by and looked forward to and actually learned greatly under a, a personality type. And now here I was different. And I got to tell you, in my weakness, in my humanness, I tried to get funnier. I tried to ask people. I tried to, I didn't, I didn't call that number that that person gave. I don't even think I took it home with me. I was so embarrassed. But, but I, the point was, I tried to change my personality. And I got to tell you, my preaching got worse. It totally got worse. I tried to introduce some canned jokes. They fell flat. And perhaps you, though not a preacher, though not in public speaking, perhaps you have a personality type that perhaps you don't like or a personality or temperament that others have told you that you need to, to change. Now, look, I know that there's a, uh, a hot-headedness or an impulsiveness that we have to keep in the check, but actually, when you take your personality, let's say even a hot-headedness or a zealousness, and you take that and put it into God's hands rather than trying to just temper it, God can use that in a helpful way, a glorious way, a holy way, a way that actually leads to the flourishing of others rather than, than pushing them down. 
I like to often think of the, the metaphor of a, a wave, you know, in the ocean. I mean, as a surfer for half my life, I know the power of the ocean. And for those of you who have visited or if you live around the ocean, you've seen some days. Maybe you've seen on films or on television, just the power of the waves. You know, the ocean current, is, 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 it's so powerful. And I think that waves have the power, on one hand, to pummel people. I mean, people have drowned from the power of the waves. They've been paralyzed because of the power of the waves. I've experienced a pummeling that is like going through a washing machine. I've hit the bottom before. I've gotten so disoriented, but the power of the waves to pummel you is crazy. But waves also have the power to propel you forward. And as a surfer, I've experienced just, it's, it's hard to put in a word, just the, it's like flying. The, the, the grace, the otherworldliness of being above the water. It's almost like walking on water. And the same power that can pummel you has the same power to propel you. And I really believe that people are a lot like waves. And we as people have the power to, to pummel other people. And sometimes it's our personality that does that. But also, we have the power as people to propel other people forward. And the best way in which we can be people who are waves of grace and waves of mercy and waves of reconciliation and waves of justice and waves of love is to be people who take our personality and not try to change it, but to take our personality and put it into God's hands. And so now that I've kind of matured a bit, still maturing, but realizing like, I don't have to be this funny preacher. And I realize that, you know, people, sometimes they laugh around me. It's not usually intentional. It's something I've said or done or, you know, I've messed up and they, they laugh at me, but I'm okay with that. But when I realize that I have a particular personality, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, it's very inquisitive. I'm a constant learner, fascinated with learning, filled with wonder all the time, kind of geek out on things. I just have this personality that I want to dive down deep in a topic and so it's just this thing that I realize about me and I realize, oh, if I take this personality and not try to change it, where I'm kind of like this mixture of an introvert, really, that serves in a role that requires me to be extroverted, but needs to withdraw and be alone just to be recharged with God. I find that I connect most with God when I'm alone. And then actually it drains me when I'm with people I'm sorry, but it does. It's just, it just how God has wired me. But I realize that when I don't try to change my personality, when I don't try to think, oh, I've got to be an extrovert as a senior pastor, I guess, no, no, no. When I realize, you know what? I need, I need to be alone to connect with God, to fill me up, to fill me with joy, to fill me with energy, to fill me with love, to fill me with grace, to fill me with all the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit so that when I go into community, I can pour it out, out of love, in a way that doesn't drain me, but it is this constant filling up and flowing out and filling up and flowing out that there's a great joy. I got to tell you, when I've experienced 
realizing I've got a personality and I don't need to change it, but the point that I want to make is that I simply need to put it into God's hands. But first, let me back up. So on the point one, uh, we we all have personality. And I believe God meets us in the uniqueness of our personalities. I've mentioned Mary and Martha. I love how differently their personalities come out right after their brother has died. Often, we find uh, in life that when we are up against a wall, when we're in the midst of a crisis, when we experience loss, when we face a hardship, when things seem out of control, it's often our true personality that rises to the surface. We can be really good going through life kind of fitting in, almost being the chameleon in society, trying to be certain things to certain people. And this is a natural, normal part of human existence. But often I've found that when, when things just are, are overwhelming, a person's true personality often comes out. I wonder, has this been true for you in the last two and a half years? Or are there people in your life where you got to know them in a different way? Maybe they came out differently in their personality because of the the difficulties in the last two and a half years. I've experienced it and I see it in Mary and Martha's life in John chapter 11. Again, their brother has just died. I want to read this section of scripture. This is in John chapter 11. And what's so remarkable is that we see these two sisters. And if you have siblings or you have multiple kids, you know, just because you're in the same family of origin, same parents, same upbringing, same meals, there can be vastly different personalities. So again, this is uh, John 11, beginning in verse 17. Again, this is a number of days after Lazarus has died. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them both about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Now, let's pause right there. Two different personalities. I don't know the, you know, Myers-Briggs personality type, though I'm sure there's websites that attribute Myers-Briggs to both Martha and Mary. I don't know their Enneagram type, though I'm sure somebody's done that more for Martha and Mary. But if you just read the text, you can just see on the surface, we don't know motivations, we don't know the interior of the heart or the mind, But Martha and Mary both react differently to the news that Jesus is now in their town of Bethany. Martha gets up, goes to meet Jesus. Mary stays home. Just to acknowledge two different people reacting to the same news two very different ways. You have a personality. You have a temperament. Just like Martha and Mary. It goes on. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. You get a sense of Martha's temperament here. There's a boldness. There's a talking straightness of Martha to Jesus. If you would have just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that God will do whatever you ask. There is this assuredness, it seems, There's this centeredness, it seems. There's this conviction, it seems. There's not a timidness. There's not a beating around the bushness. This is very direct. And so Martha, right here, is just direct with Jesus. And what I love is that Jesus doesn't confront her personality. He meets her in the midst of her personality. 
He doesn't say, whoa, 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 Martha. I know how Mary's going to come to me in a few minutes. You should have done what she's going to do. He doesn't do that. He responds to her. And he says this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, this truth, this statement is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. For many people, this is their life verse. I know some people, they have this tattoo on their body. Some people, it's a bumper sticker. Some people have this a magnet. Some people have this crocheted into a pillow. This truth, I am the resurrection and the life that Jesus says is, is one of the most hallmark foundational truths of the ministry and the life of Jesus. And it comes in a moment where Martha is being herself. Her personality comes out and Jesus responds with the same level of directness and gives one of the most foundational truths in the cosmos that Jesus is the resurrection, the life that whosoever shall believeth in Jesus will live. And he asks the question, do you believe this? He engages with her in her personality, at her level, in a relational context, asks the question. She responds and says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. I've studied the scriptures. I've studied not only the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament. I've spent the most time in the gospels. And there's nowhere in the gospels where a more comprehensive acknowledgement of who Jesus is, is said about Jesus than this moment. Martha says, he's the Messiah. He's the Lord, the son of God, and the one coming into the world. She just covered like four years worth of seminary education in that one sentence. Volumes of books on systematic theology and the doctrine of who God is are summed up in this amazing confession of faith. She has a personality. So do you. God's going to meet you in the midst of your personality. But it's not just Martha. There's Mary as well. Listen to how different Mary is. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet. Let's pause right there. Remember, Martha spoke to Jesus face to face. It was her personality. It was her temperament. Very direct. Mary comes and gets to the feet of Jesus. Now, again, just to rewind a bit, I love that Jesus doesn't tell Martha when she speaks to him face to face, hey, what are you doing? Get to my feet. He doesn't say that. He meets her in the midst of her personality, responds to her. And again, one of the greatest truths of Scripture is revealed. Now, Mary comes, gets to his feet, and he doesn't say, Mary, get up. Speak to me like Martha. He doesn't say that. Such different temperaments, such different personalities. And Jesus receives both of them equally out of love in a relational context. And Mary now at his feet 
starts off and says the exact same thing that her sister Martha says. I don't know if Martha had already said to Mary what she had told Jesus. I don't know. But what's interesting is it's literally word for word. Perhaps they had talked about this even before Jesus had come. And so it was part of their natural conversation. But literally, it's word for word. The same beginning that Martha has is the same beginning that Mary has. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she stops. And then John, the commentator, says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. She didn't finish the sentence that Martha had finished. She breaks down in tears. She's, she's weeping. The, the, the Greek word for weeping is actually wailing. This isn't a pretty quiet sniffle. This isn't like quiet sobs. This is a wailing. This is loud. Some cultures might say this is ugly crying. And Jesus sees her in her grief, sees others weeping and wailing, and he is such moved in spirit that it affects him. He then asks the question, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then there, verse 35, Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. This remarkable moment is Pastor Tim Keller, I've heard him say before, for Martha, Jesus had a ministry of truth. For Mary, Jesus had a ministry of tears. But to unpack even more, I believe that it was a ministry of truth and a ministry of tears because that's what each of them distinctly needed in that moment. And likely, what they needed in that moment had a lot to do with their personality, had a lot to do with their temperament. Again, Jesus didn't tell Martha, change your personality. I didn't say to Mary, change your personality. He met them differently and distinctly and equally as they were. And in the same way, after he met Martha, in her directness with one of the greatest truths, I am the resurrection of life, he meets Mary in her temperament and weeps and ultimately leads to one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament where he goes to the tomb and he yells, Lazarus, come out. And the truth of what he just said to Martha is now experienced in reality when Lazarus comes forth from the tomb and Jesus tells others to, to unwrap the grave clothes. This remarkable, miraculous moment in John chapter 11 shows us that when you take your personality and put it into God's hands, miraculous and remarkable things can happen. I'm so thankful that Martha brought her true self in her grief to Jesus. And look what Jesus did with it. I love the fact that Mary came to Jesus with her true self in her grief. And look what Jesus did with it. The statement of resurrection life, the reality through Lazarus's life that Jesus is who he says he is. He matches teaching with reality. Often throughout the scriptures, Jesus will teach. And then there's a miracle to accompany that teaching to establish 
He is who he says he is. He's not just some teacher. He's not just some great thinker. This is God in the flesh. God, Emmanuel, God with us. And as we begin to realize what was true for them can be true for us. Again, you have a personality, but watch what happens when you take your personality and put it into God's hands. In our church family, I'm so thankful that we have so many different personality types. It can be exhausting at times. I got to tell you, it is so hard to get through a, an elder meeting with all the different personality types, but all of us collectively, though there can be friction, though it can take longer, though it can sometimes be difficult, ultimately the uniqueness of our distinctive differences, this only happens when you take those personalities and temperaments and you put it into God's hands, this won't happen when you don't put it into God's hands and just bring your, your personalities. Then we become waves that pummel each other. But when you put it into God's hands, you actually can be part of a wave of God's movement in lives that propels ministry and others forward. And it's like, you know, in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, one sharpens another. I found that different personality types can can sharpen one another. On our staff, for example, we have people who are just, they're so hungry, they just want to, it's like ready, fire, aim. You know, they just, they're so excited. And then there's others who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Spent a couple months aiming before we fire. And I got to tell you, there is such frustration and such friction when those two personality types come together. And yet, when we can have the maturity to say, okay, before I go to this meeting, uh, before I go to that meal, before I show up to work, before I go over to a friend's house, before I go to class, I need to take my personality, whatever it is, and the complexity of all of it. It's not one-dimensional. It's like multi-dimensional. God, help me to put it in your hands. Meet me in the midst of who I am. Use me for your purposes. I've seen such beautiful things happen on our staff, in our elder meetings, in our church family. I've seen it in my family with my boys, such different personality types. My wife and I are like complete opposite ends of the spectrum of personality types. And yet God has used us in such rich and profound and beautiful ways to, to grow each other, to sharpen each other. I'm more the person God wants me to be because of who she is in my life. You know, life would be so boring if we all had the same personality type. I, I know sometimes in temptation, we want that. It might be easier. There might be less friction. I told this to somebody recently. There's a phrase that's being used right now in culture, uh, a frictionless interaction. This, this value that I see in the culture of frictionless, you know, now we can, um, you know, pay using our smartphone, you know, with Google Pay or Apple Pay. It's frictionless. You don't even have to pull out a card. You don't have to touch cash. There's no change, no buttons. You just hold this, boom, boom. You know, and it pays, it debits from your account. This frictionless economy is a high, high value. And I see this value pervading into our relationships as well. And I'm starting to see that people are longing for frictionless relationships. People are longing for frictionless community. People are longing for frictionless families. People are longing for frictionless churches. And so... I'm noticing when friction arises, and what I mean by friction is when conflict arises, 
people bail. They're leaving families. They're leaving friendships. They're leaving companies. They're leaving churches in pursuit of a frictionless experience somewhere else. But then they get somewhere else and they realize there's friction here too. And unfortunately, I see people bouncing to and fro from relationships, from jobs, from communities of faith, in pursuit of something that I believe God never wants us to pursue. Because I believe that it is in the friction, that in the conflict, that in the difficulties of life, that we reach an end to ourselves and we say, God, I need you. I need you to meet me in the midst of this hardship. I need you to meet me in the midst of this, this disagreement. I, uh, in a frictionless world, we don't need God. It's easy. But in a highly frictioned environment, when there's no way out, when you reach the end of yourself, you are desperate for rescue. And I do believe that in this life that remarkable things can happen when we acknowledge that there's friction and that there's always going to be friction. In families, in communities, there's going to be conflict, and a lot of it has to do with our personalities, how we see things, how we approach things, how we respond to emails, our body. All these things are such remarkable differences, but we've got to, we've got to put it into God's hands and to realize that when we put it into God's hands, there can sometimes be a shadow side to our personalities as well. Now, just to be short and sweet, there is this sense of, for example, I'll speak of two, extroverts and introverts. I know I referenced them earlier. Uh, I believe that right now that we're in this moment, we're in American culture at least, it seems like that there is a broad history of valuing extroverts over introverts. However, I, I think that in, our, in this cultural uh, period that we're in, I think that introverts are gaining ground on extroverts in terms of what is being embraced, which I think is a great thing. Because again, my point is, you have a personality. It just is. It's not necessarily good or bad. It's good when you put it in God's hands, but you don't have to change your personality for it to be good. And so there's this reality that we need to remind ourselves in a culture that historically has lifted up and valued extroverts, that introverts are just as needed are just as indispensable. There's a great book. I'd love for you to read it. I've been recommending books in each of these sermons in this series. It's called Introverts in the Church. Phenomenal book. Whether you are an extrovert or an introvert, I want you to read it because you either are or are in relationship with an introvert in your life. And it's a great, great resource. But let me just say this. While extroverts and introverts both have their strengths, I believe that both of them have a shadow side. So for example, scripture calls all people, regardless of your personality type, to Sabbath, to rest, to seek solitude, to connect with the Lord, to not always be in go, 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 to not always be in crowds, to not always be pulled many different directions, that we are all called to withdraw and to spend alone time with the Lord. The shadow side of an extrovert is this could be very, very difficult. We can plan our schedules from before sunrise to long after sunset, cramming things in because we are filled up by people. And so one of the shadow sides, one of the things to say, God, I need help in this in is 
God, help me to make margin in my life for the relationship that I actually need the most, you, God. And in the same way, I find that there is this other call of God on uh, all people, regardless of the personality type, is to meet together, to be in community with one another, to be in relationship with one another. There's over 50 one another verses in Scripture to, to pray for one another, to love one another, to encourage one another. Now, the shadow side of an introvert is that it can be a lot of energy, a lot of work. It can be draining to show up to that thing, to that small group, to the church service, to the ministry, to the service opportunity. And so in the same way, the shadow side of an extrovert is to really struggle with solitude, which God calls all people to do. The sometimes shadow side of an introvert is to be in community and to be an indispensable part of community and to practice the one another's. And so what a great reminder that we can actually learn from one another, that the extroverts can learn from introverts on how to find solitude, on how to Sabbath, and how to find rest. And the introverts can actually learn from extroverts on how to be in community, on how to show up, but ultimately to realize that these shadow sides are another reminder that in our inabilities, which was last week, in our weaknesses, God's strength can be made perfect. So it's not enough if you're an extrovert to say, well, I'm just an extrovert. I don't ever need to Sabbath. This is just who I am. No, God calls you to spend some time with the Lord in the same way, especially after the last two and a half years that we've had, where there's been a lot of good reason for many people to stay at home. I've talked to a lot of people who are really struggling re-engaging in relationships in person, really struggling re-engaging being in community. And it, what a great reminder that it, it is a struggle and we need God's strength and God's wisdom on when to do it in the right ways and appropriate ways and healthy ways, ultimately, so that God can get us all into shape. We've been talking about this week after week. God gives us spiritual abilities. God's given us heart passions. We have unique abilities. We have unique personalities. And next week we're going to talk about we've had unique experiences that have shaped who we are leading to this moment. And regardless of your experiences, God can use you in powerful ways for God's purposes. But as we wrap up this sermon now, I want you to know that God sees you in the same way that he saw Martha and that he saw Mary and wants to meet you right where you are. Let's pray. Loving God, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you so much for your, just your beautiful creativity that in the fullness of who you are, making all human beings in your image, that somehow all the different temperaments are found in you. And so actually every single human being on the planet can relate to you because we're all made in your image. Help us to be reminded of that. Help us to experience what Martha and Mary got to experience when you met them right where they were. May this be one of those moments where we feel seen by you. And God, I pray that we take our personalities and just simply put them in your hands, that you would do remarkable things for them, miraculous things for them. In the same way, I pray that you would help us to see our blind spots, our weaknesses, the shadow sides of our temperament so that you can grow us in this season together. In Jesus' name I pray, we say together, amen.